Welcome to the Kindness Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Harrington, where each week I'll be interviewing game changers who are up to good things in the world, supporting us with health and wellness resources, and ultimately how to live your kindest life. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. I'm here with Jeremy Wolf, one of my favorite people that I get to spend probably like 0.0001% of my life with. <laughs> it just seems like we're both uh, up to changing the world. And uh, so that means that it's it's tough to schedule in our social time and, and time that we want to spend with each other. But I'm, I'm honored that we, we got to be here today. Jeremy, welcome. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah, yeah in that point, zero, 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 one percent, <laughs> it's always precious. Yeah. It's always highly valued. So I'm glad. Uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me to be a part of this conversation today. Absolutely. Any, anything, uh, anything about today's trek here that you want to share that was, that was unique? <laughs> well, the first snowstorm of the year and about the worst road conditions I've seen in years. Uh, in terms of slickness, so uh, it was it was a long trek to get here. Glad I made it safely. Yeah, um, plenty of people have slid off the road, um, but you know it's beautiful, and uh, you know took my time, and it's worth it. It's worth it that we get to spend the afternoon together. Yeah, buddy. So, what would you say you averaged in terms of speed? <laughs> <laughs> well, when I was going three miles an hour, um, three miles an hour, and uh, there was a point where speed wasn't really registering. Yeah. But um yeah, maybe seven. Right. Maybe seven. A couple wow. points I got up to thirty or forty. Yeah. For for a minute. And so what do you do in those situations where uh life is just causing you to slow down? How does how does how does uh how does Mr. Wolf's mind react in those situations? You know, I was a little bit nervous to be honest in the conditions because I was driving my my partner's car, which I'm not as familiar driving though it's a bit more fit for those conditions than mine. Um so there was a bit of nervousness in there, but I have this practice where if I'm going to be late or delayed, then embrace that time rather than sit there and stress about it, just recognize, "Oh, wow." What a beautiful snowstorm. Mm. I'm going to leave 10 car space between me and the guy in front of me. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. And I'll just take my time and, uh, and, and, and just appreciate that I, I can't be anywhere else. So I might as well just take some deep breaths and, and enjoy it while it's happening as much as I can. Yeah, maybe answer a few emails. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Texting, texting. A lot of texting. Yeah. Sure, that's yeah. good. That's great. So now I'll know who it is that's leaving 10 spaces in front of me when I'm banging on the steering wheel and shouting. <laughs> that's generally how I'll handle those moments. Uh, well, if you have your hazard lights on, that gives you full permission to do whatever you want. Right? <laughs> that's right. I mean, no, hey, nobody can expect anything of you. It's like you threw in the towel and you're like, okay, I'm just going to do it my way. You can pass me, go around me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I, find myself often based on the way that I've 
chosen to schedule myself running that five to 10 minutes late is kind of the way I run my life. How do you, what's your, what's your general philosophy around managing time? I used to be a five to 10 minutes late guy. <laughs> you and used to be like me. I used to be like you, but <laughs> that was a long time yeah. ago. <laughs> you know? I mean, that was a lot of yoga practice. 16, ago. 17 years old. Um, I've gotten better at giving myself extra time to get ready, to recognize that stuff happens. You're on your way out the door and all of a sudden your son needs something. So it's like, oh, I, I have to tend to this. So I kind of build a little buffer in now. Not that I'm never late, but I'm a little better at being punctual. Just I think the family, having a family has really pushed that into um, you know, my my management of time because mm-hmm. I have to have to always allow buffer if possible, um, knowing that someone's got to get their shoes on, even if yeah. it's not me or even if not he's going with even if he's not going with me. Yeah. So um but I haven't mastered it. Yeah. Yeah. Or even if you've asked him seven times to put on his shoes. And you still end up putting on his shoes. <laughs> then the ten minutes late thing comes into play. Because yep. you realize he doesn't have his coat on. He never changed his clothes. Yeah. <laughs> He's still in his PJs. Right. What's his name again for the audience? Aeon. Aeon, right. Yeah. Six yeah. and a half years old now. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. So uh, would you say um, you're a yoga teacher, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So seeing as how uh, yoga has been a big part of your life, how, how, uh, how has becoming a parent for you either um, made the yogic path or, or the yoga experience more clear or more challenging? Or Speak a little bit about parenting and the challenges of that with a, with a yoga philosophy as a kind of a way of life. Well, it's definitely been the biggest transition, you know, being somewhat financially and emotionally responsible to some degree for mm. two Before. people. Oh, be, oh right. Yes. Yeah, two pe- yeah, two people that aren't me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big piece. But, but, you know, in terms of how it shifted my life, I think the biggest piece is um, self-accountability mm. because you can't put yourself first all the time. Mm-hmm. And you quote unquote shouldn't put yourself first all the time. It's just not possible. And you've got to think of the whole group and you've got to think of the individual needs and you've got to think of how you're going to get out of the door on time. Mm-hmm. But um, it's really it's really held me accountable for how I'm being in the moments between my formal practice. Because, mm-hmm. you know, having a child, they're like a tape recorder, you know, or a sponge. They're just absorbing everything. So you start to see that how you're being is how they start to be. How you start to, or how you express yourself or the way you communicate is the way that they start to express themselves and communicate. And if it's unhelpful, then there's a clear opportunity for you to take more responsibility for uh, those moments of unskillful communication or unskillful relationship. And so it's really shifted um, it's deep in my practice because, you know, they say it's easier to practice yoga in a cave mm-hmm. and not have a family or relationship, not be a householder. Right. But to be a householder is the next level of practice because there's such a high level of details that have to be managed at any given time. And the unexpected is always showing up. You know, in, term of, in terms of how it's affected my teaching, as a yoga teacher, I think it's really helped ground my teaching more. 
Um, I think it slowed my teaching down mm. because I realized the, the importance of creating space. Uh, because the more we fill space with activities, responsibilities, commitments, the less we feel like we're available for our family or that we're being present with our family or that we can give the highest quality of attention to how we're communicating with our family and how I'm communicating with my son. So um, it's really brought me in touch with the velocity of our culture and the importance of practicing yoga in a way that really nurtures and nourishes rather than just activates. Mm. Mm. Yeah, right. Nurtures and nourishes rather than just activate. I think that's a really that's a really deep statement. Can you can you kind of unpack that a little bit more? Um just in terms of um the different types of yoga practices that there are and how that might relate to someone's you know day to day week to week what they might seek out yeah you know i think the yoga that we practice we speaking generally as our culture the the yoga that we're drawn to is mostly a reflection of um the way in which we function as a culture um our movement through the world has accelerated um, the amount that we can accomplish or think we can accomplish um, has grown. Uh, and the amount of commitments and the, the amount of details that we have to manage has all increased, you know, certainly over the past couple of decades um, with the technology. I think the, that with the conveniences comes uh, many, many more details. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, pro- the cost for the conveniences uh, is something worth looking at to see if it's, you know, in all cases worth it. But I think because we're a culture that likes to get as much done as possible, experience as many things as possible, and put as much on our plate as we possibly can, our yoga practice has become a reflection of that, where it becomes something that is very much about motion. It's very much about conquering. It's very much about achieving. And there is much that we can achieve in the practice of yoga and through an active practice of yoga. And I think culturally, we're starting to recognize that we're starting to reach a breaking point where people aren't sleeping, people can't focus, um, meditation seems completely out of reach. Uh, the level of reactivity in our culture um, is extremely high, how quick we are to snap. Um, I think we can see it just in the level of road rage that we see on the highway. I think that's, you know, I kind of use that as my baseline example of if you want to see how much stress we're carrying as a culture, see how much road rage we have on the highway, Um, the lack of patience that we have. And the great thing about yoga is that it's a comprehensive practice. And it's not a one-size-fits-all type practice. Traditionally, it was very much customized to the individual because we would look at, with a teacher, we would look at, where am I imbalanced? Um, Where am I experiencing a level of disharmony? Where am I conflicted, contracted? Um, And, you know, how much stress am I carrying, for example? And then we would tailor the yoga practice to to meet those needs um, so that we could move back into balance. So it wasn't just, let's add another... um, task on our to-do list that we do for 75 minutes and then check off on our way to the next thing. 
but how can we enter a practice that really speaks to my mental, emotional, and physical needs, which may sometimes be active and may sometimes be very slow, uh, may sometimes be more of an exploration of how I can cultivate groundedness, how I can cultivate centeredness and focus, so that it is not something that I'm doing, but it's you know, again, going back to this idea that it can nurture not just that 75 minutes of practice where I can give attention to myself and tend to myself from a place of self-care, but how can that um, fuel my relationships and improve the quality in which I move through the world? Yeah, yeah. It uh, Something that I hear you talking about, it, it, it occurs to me to think of it as investment, and that there's uh, a lot of investment in action, in production, in um, in busy, in doing, and it seems to me that there's in this in this conversation of supporting people around actually being more efficient, uh, more effective, that there's uh, a lack of investment in nurture. There's a lack of investment in quiet. There's a lack of investment in nature. And that in this, in this keeping up with everything that's going on, the speed of it, uh, the numbers of things that we're managing, um, there's, there's a piece of it that feels like if we're looking to maximize our return on investment in production side, there needs to be a commensurate investment in nurture side. And so with that being said, what, what in your mind would be a, uh, for a typical Joe and Jane, um, if, they, if someone were to come to you and say, um, Jeremy, I'm looking to create more balance in my life, how, much, uh, how many hours on a weekly basis, in your opinion, would I need to focus on nurturing myself in order to balance the amount of things that I'm doing over here? What would be a prescription for that more or less? That's a, that's a great question. And I think it, it would be individual specific. It would have to be not just in terms of what are, the, what are that person's life circumstances, but what do they even feel like they have time for? Mm-hmm. Some people, you know, with multiple kids, possibly multiple jobs, multiple projects, don't feel like they have more than five minutes that they can give to themselves per day. And if that's what they have, then we start there. Mm-hmm. Then the best prescription is going to be one that feels um, attainable. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if it begins with five minutes, if it can be up to 10 minutes or increase to 20 minutes at some point, sure, an hour a day to tend to you, not to tend to your stuff, not to tend to your responsibilities, but to tend to you, whether that means meditation, whether that means Um, contemplation, whether that means quiet time where you're neither interacting with or speaking with other people, but there's just space. Um, I think one of the biggest things that's missing in our culture that's created this this incredible imbalance is the lack of space, Mm. the lack of time. Um, We've filled our time and we've filled our space with objects, circumstances, activities, responsibilities to the degree that there's there's not an opportunity for self-care. And, you know, I was just speaking earlier this week that at some level, 
Um, the ability for you to express your greatness in the world is directly proportional to the amount of self-care that you're giving yourself. And I think in our culture, we've been to some degree conditioned to um, put the world first. And we're even, um, we're even acknowledged or rewarded um, for being productive. Oh, oh, you worked 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week. Oh, 80. Oh, you're such a hard worker. And I think we've learned to seek validation through this doing state that, um, that our value is somehow measured through our doing state. But the reality is, if we want balance, I think, you know, we're experiencing, so many people are experiencing anxiety and depression now because there's no balance. And what we need, I mean, it's built into the design of the body. If we look at the autonomic nervous system, we're meant to go from a state of activity to a state of rest. We're not meant to sustain a state of activity for every waking moment that entire day. So in whatever way we can build in moments for parasympathetic response, whether that's a slower yoga practice, whether it's quiet time, whether it's time in nature, or walking our dog without our phone, without you know this, this constant interaction, um, the prescription, like I say, would vary person to person. Um, we'd start with what feels um, reasonable, with what feels um, accessible, and there's going to be a point where, and it, it won't necessarily be right away, but there's going to be a point where the person starts to realize the value of that time. And the return on that is going to start to shift their quality of attention, their quality of presence, um, their quality of health, mm. um, their level of patience. And that's going to start to spread into their, um, into their relationships and into their interaction with the world. And you reach a certain point where you realize, oh, yeah. I need more of this. Mm. And then once it becomes part of your wants, your list of wants, um, then that, that window of self-care time can grow. Mm-hmm. That's great. So um, there's going to be some of our listeners out there that are um, familiar with and some that aren't. Can you unpack briefly autonomic nervous system and parasympathetic just so that that's clearer? Yeah, just to speak, um, just, just a simple explanation. The autonomic nervous system basically is built on polarity. You know, part of it is about action, part of it is about rest. The sympathetic nervous system, generally speaking, is about activity, problem solving, analytical thinking. In its heightened states, it can become stress. It, be- it can become the fight or flight response, fight, flight or freeze response. Um, and, you know, when I spoke to how quick we are to react, mm-hmm. how quick we are to anger, to lose our patience nowadays, that's an expression of an overactive sympathetic nervous system that's not receiving balance, that's not enjoying rest, that's not getting the polarity, which is the parasympathetic response, which governs um, rest and digestion and the body's capacity to heal and restore. And we can do this in yoga. We can turn on parasympathetic response even in an active practice just by um, the toolkit we use, just by the selection of tools or techniques that we use. So it doesn't mean we have to sit there and do nothing, though that's highly helpful for Mm -hmm. for our culture. Um, we, We haven't learned to value sitting and doing nothing. Um, I think we're starting to recognize the value in it again. But um, when we say, 
You know, the, the, the body is designed to flow between sympathetic and parasympathetic response back and forth throughout the day. There's moments where we have to act and respond, and then there's moments where we can rest. And it's that uh, it's in those moments of rest that the tension that's accumulating can actually start to unclench, can actually start to release. And there's a wide variety of practices in yoga and even just simple um, techniques that we can do, like having quiet time, you know, sitting and drinking tea on your back porch without an agenda. You know, something as simple as that, where we can start to invite the balance back once again. And that balance can be felt very quickly. Um, It can also um, impact our quality of sleep. It can impact um, our relationships and the way that we communicate with our families or or friends, or uh, fellow employees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so would you say that for um, for someone that is um, you know feeling stressed, feeling blown out with their life, um, that the amount of investment that they could make, whether it be five minutes to start, ten minutes to start, would um, start to show a return on that investment within a few days within a few weeks, generally, like if someone is out there and they're like, okay, I hear you, Jeremy, but you know, I got a lot of stuff on my plate. I got five minutes. Um, is that really going to make a difference in your experience? Does five minutes make a difference? Five minutes definitely makes a difference. Um, but what's important is that depending on the person, we have certain tools to work with in that five minutes because If you're in motion and if you wake up in the morning and you're like, I'm already late, I have so much on my plate today, I'm already stressed out, then it's going to be hard to sit down for five minutes and not be stressed out. Mm. You're going to sit there and think about the things that are stressing you out, most likely. And you're going to be like, why am I sitting here? I've got too much to do. This is going to make me even later. This is going to put me further behind. So what's important is to have a tool to work with in that five minutes. And honestly, the breath. Um, is something that we all have, and it's one of the fastest ways to create a shift, not just mentally and emotionally, but to create this shift in our nervous system, to slow down, and it also creates a shift in our physiology. So we can experience an effect in five minutes through a simple breathing technique. And depending on the person, that breathing technique will look different. Um, but there are some that, that, that are just going to be helpful and supportive for slowing down so that in that five minutes you're given something to do and yeah you're technically doing something but it's about creating a pattern in the mind and body that's undoing the momentum of tension that you're carrying mm-hmm. yeah i get that um so what would you say um because some of these i think are probably germane techniques that if we were to think about them if we took the time to to get curious about them, we might discover some of these techniques. But what I really hear you saying and what I, what feels true for me is that the relationship with a teacher is really valuable, uh, especially at the beginning. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship to teachers in your life and um, maybe how just the, in our in our in our worldview, at least around yoga, their teachers in India, we might say gurus and in guru culture, there's often a focus on a particular person and a, a devotee might follow them their entire life. 
um, where in our culture, there's a lot more sampling of different teachers and kind of picking things up from different places. Can you talk about the role of teacher in your life and what you think the role of teacher for modern yoga student is today? Yeah. Um, when I first started my yoga practice, it, it was pretty much on my own. Um, I did have a teacher, but most of my practice was at home. I'd practice with the teacher once a week, and then I would you know, sort of explore those tools and techniques on my own, um, along with whatever sort of intuitively came up. You know, and I was working a lot with Hatha Yoga. This was, you know, my entry point was meditation. And my first teacher really came in teaching me a little about meditation, but more about Hatha Yoga and starting to bring conscious awareness into breath. Since then, uh, I too have been a sampler. I think that there's so much incredible information that comes down a variety of lineages and I think it's important to explore enough to find out what works for you. And I think that what's important is to, is to maybe for, for you, it's, it's good to commit to a teacher for life. If it feels like the right teacher, if that teacher can keep you constantly progressing. Um, and it may be that it's for a period of time you're working with that specific teacher. You know, I do have a primary teacher, but I also have other teachers, you know, that sort of expand the scope of my study and work in the yoga world. And one thing that I think is important to, to look at is just the definition of the word guru, because guru is the word for teacher in India. And that sort of relationship between student and teacher has evolved certainly in the West and, um, you know, over the past many decades. But guru, if you break the word down, it means the remover of darkness. Mm. And what's important to recognize is that the teacher is there to help you remove your own confusion, to help you remove your own limitations. The teacher doesn't do it for you, but the teacher's role is to help awaken your potential in such a way that you can grow beyond your current limitations. Right. And, you know, certainly a teacher in most cases doesn't know everything. Not every teacher is a master per se, and not every teacher needs to be a master. But a teacher is someone that is further along a certain path or level of information or technique. And this goes with any teacher, you know, not just a yoga teacher or a spiritual teacher, but someone that is further down the line of study and personal practice than you are so that they act as a guide to help propel you forward, mm. so that they act as a guide to give you tools that hopefully are specific to you, that they can look at you and help determine where are you challenged? You know, where is there a sense of limitation? Where is there a sense of insecurity or fear or a lack of awareness? And how can we expand that? How can we build that? So the teacher's role is not to take your power and have you, you know, worship them, so to speak, but to awaken your own capacity for quote unquote self-worship, which really means um, a level of self-responsibility, accountability and commitment um, that keeps you uh, on a process of growth that keeps you moving forward. And 
I think, you know, I definitely hold the, the stance that having a teacher is essential. I think anyone can explore yoga and practice yoga and practice meditation and find good benefit and make progress, even from books, even from videos. You know, there's so many platforms to access these tools now. But at some level, I think it's, or I'll say and at some level, I think it's um, very helpful to have someone that can look at you specifically that has a broad enough toolkit um, to to know what's going to best support you in accelerating your process of growth so that it can happen more quickly, so that it can happen more effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, um, what do you say to the philosophy of... Um, if you if if you hate a posture, that's the one that you need the most. Or I went to a teacher and they just triggered the crap out of me, and I said to myself, "Boy, that must be the medicine I need." <laughs> what do you What do you think about that? What, how does that land for you? Uh, there's two sides to that. One, if you're triggered, that's an invitation for you to look at something. You know, any trigger is a call for your attention. Any trigger is a call for you to look at why are you being triggered? What's the seed of that resistance? Now, that said, if you go to a class and you're in a state of triggeredness the whole time, it's going to be hard to find that balance, that balance of efforting and that balance of moving into a place of detached observation that can actually allow you to see what's creating the disturbance, that can cultivate a level of self-awareness that can start to reveal what's not working. What are you carrying that's not working? What habit or behavior or belief is creating that sense of resistance? So yes, the trigger is helpful, but you also want it to happen in a context where there's enough space that you can be with the trigger and that you can be in a state of ease where there's not a trigger potentially. Um, so if you're triggered the whole time, I would say try a variety of teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to a teacher where you're not triggered at all, it's not to say it's not going to work, um, but don't let yourself off too easily. Yeah, it's interesting. Like if I go to a class and I just loved everything about the class... Is that what you mean? Like that, like that might not be the right class. Like if I come to one of Jeremy Wolf's classes and I'm like, oh my God, I left feeling great in my body. My mind blew my mind open and I slept great that night. Are you saying because I wasn't triggered that I should choose someone other than Jeremy? No, no. If it's working, if you're receiving benefit, then, then keep going. Okay. You know, if there's a if there's a return on your investment of time to practice with that teacher, go with it. Um, likely, at some point, there'll be a trigger, there'll be a challenge that shows up. Maybe, maybe not. And it's it's not a simple answer in that question either. The reality is, if you go to a yoga practice and afterward you're sleeping better, you have more patience. Your self-awareness has expanded. Um, you're experiencing more peace or you're experiencing more joy that may not even be conditional or circumstantial joy. By all means, cultivate that. Um, we're in a habit 
we, we sort of live in a habit of conflict now where we're so often in resistance to wherever we are and whatever's happening, even at a subtle level, as we're seeking the next moment for fulfillment. So if you can experience a space where you temporarily suspend that seeking, where there can be a moment of ease, and that ease is extending into other aspects of your life, by all means, continue that practice. Um, We don't have to look for a trigger. Ultimately, the more time we spend with ourselves, the more that's going to start to show up, even in a quote-unquote easy or restful practice. Mm -hmm. So when it's time to give attention to something, that thing will arise. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Thanks for that answer. Um, talk a little bit about some of the some of your path and your your personal challenges that have come up um, as an adult and navigating and how yoga um, maybe what some of those are that are relatable to some folks that are listening and then how yoga and um, any of your um, specialty teachings that you focus on yourself have served um, and supported you with those challenges? Yeah, you know, I think one of the, one of the, I'd say one of the biggest challenges that I've had as a yoga teacher was that I happened into yoga through meditation and that I reached a point in my life where my corporate job wasn't fulfilling and was at some level taking me even further out of balance. And I decided to leave and go do a yoga teacher training in India because I was curious, what is the big picture of yoga? Not that you have to go to India to get the big picture, but I was like, what is this thing all about? What is this system? Um, that claims to provide anyone with appropriate tools, because there's so many and they vary, that can have people look for happiness, peace, and fulfillment in the right direction, so to speak. So my entry point into yoga was a very classical, very traditional background where every single pose was its own experience. Every single pose was its own meditation, its own platform for self-reflection. And then coming back to the U.S., I didn't have the intention to become a yoga teacher, but the doors started to open. And not too long after I started um, to teach my first weekly yoga classes, you know, we'd been friends for Mm -hmm. some time already. And you said, hey, what do you think about teaching for, you know, what was then yoga energy, Mm -hmm. you know, early days of kindness, right? And I was extremely honored. And one thing I realized from that very first audition class, which you gave me the pleasure of teaching your Wednesday morning, 6 a.m. yoga class. (laughs) So you were there and I got to teach your class. So an incredible amount of pressure, Mm. uh, needless to say. And at 6 in the morning, trying to get my brain turned on enough to know what I'm talking about, to say something, you know, something inspiring, something meaningful. Right. Um, And what I soon realized is that Yoga in the West, which I had done some previously, but again, I had largely a a home asana practice. Um, Yoga in the West was a a very different animal. It was just a very different thing. And so what I realized is 
a lot of people that were coming to the practice of yoga in the West were coming for very different reasons for, you know, why I learned to practice yoga or how I learned to practice yoga. So then it became this project of how can I expand the language and offering of some of these deep traditional teachings in a way that also um, fulfills a variety of reasons that people are coming to the practice of yoga. You know, a lot of my teachers say, you know, the job of a yoga teacher is to both give your students what they want and to give them what they need. And they don't always know what they need. And so it's your job to develop discrimination to start to know what they need, to start to know what's going to be most helpful for them. And, you know, those were in my still early days of yoga study. And I've since gone on to do many trainings and with a variety of teachers that have really expanded my understanding of what that means. Um, What does it mean to customize a yoga practice? Um, And if you're teaching for a group of 10 people, 30 people, however many people, how can you do it in a way that's still giving something highly valuable um, mentally and emotionally? How can you give students something that doesn't just have them feel different, but has them think differently, that has them relate to the world differently, that has them perceive possibly differently um, their challenges, their goals, you know? And so I think trying to be a good teacher, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's a big challenge is, is recognizing the different, the many different shades of human experience that we all show up with. And um, so trying to do that dance of, you know, recognizing what people often show up to yoga wanting and also trying to interweave a lot of these ancient And still, I would even argue more applicable teachings, teachings that are even more applicable today because of the level of imbalance we're experiencing. How can those be woven in in such a way that people can walk out um, a different person? You know, sometimes I say the worst thing that can happen in a yoga class is that you leave the same person. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the same problems, the same challenges, um, just feeling a little more vital, a little more vibrant, a little more strong. Sure, that's all helpful. Mm -hmm. It's all beneficial. But we want to change at a fundamental level so that our life experience is shifting. Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? Because there's, uh, I I look at uh, the role of teachers in my life, and and I think both you and I um, started in earnest with our yoga practice around the similar time in the the, uh, late 90s and... um, there were some teachers here in town that um, were real lifers and folks that had been studying from teachers that were in direct lineage from some of the folks that first um, really brought yoga to the West and um, had devoted 20, 30 years to their practice and teaching. And then they were teaching us directly. And um, there was this distillation of the way I see it is there's a distillation of all of this this tome of knowledge around yoga in the East and its, its lifetimes, its family lineage in many cases where it's passed down um, from teacher to student and sometimes from within families. And it's a whole lifetime of information. And then 
someone studies with a person like that for 20 years and they get the, in some ways, the more refined version of that lifetime of information into this 20 year dose. And then that person is now here in the West and, you know, has car payments and a couple kids getting ready to go to college. And so they say to themselves, I'm going to take that lifetime's worth of work from my 20 years worth of studying it. And I'm going to package it in a 200 hour teacher training. And so it's this distilling down of, of what a person might think is the essence of a lifetime's worth of study of 20 years worth of study down into this version called 200 hour teacher training. And now we have at kindness, you know, we'll have eight to 10 teacher trainings a year and, um, producing new yoga teachers. Talk a little bit about the state of yoga um, in our country, in our state, in our city, and um, talk about the benefits of having people going through the programs that we're considering teacher trainings today, and maybe what concerns you have about that um, as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a great topic. Um, I think I'll start by saying recognize the importance of lineage. And I say that meaning yoga is really a system for how to live a life that's fulfilling, that's joyful, that's peaceful by understanding why it's currently not in the ways or in the times or in the moments that it's not. You know, it's really an exploration of the human experience. How can we live the human experience in a way that's more skillful, in a way that's more graceful? And studying with a, a, a lineage, you know, whether it's 20 years or with, you know, a teacher that's been studying for 20 years or 30 years or teaching for 30 years or whatever it is, there's a preservation that happens with the tools and the teaching. And I think it's fantastic that there are so many 200-hour teacher programs, teacher, teacher training programs now, because some level of the yoga teaching is reaching more and more and more people. Um, yes, the more you condense it into a shorter amount of time, the less you can include. And I think you know, some of the dangers of that is often the things that we exclude maybe in some cases could be some of the things that are most valuable. And that being said, when you do a 200-hour teacher training, hopefully when you get done, you realize that you know less than you did when you started the teacher training. <laughs> that's right. You know, hopefully that's your realization. That was certainly mine. And, you know, so many people that I talk to have that realization are like, Oh, oh, yoga is huge. I cracked the door. Yoga is life. Yoga mm -hmm. is not just 75 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes. Yoga is 24 hours. Yoga is seven days a week. What does that look like? And so, yeah, start wherever you start. Start with the teacher. You know, if, if, if you have access to a teacher that do, doesn't come from a lineage, but yet they can be a doorway and starting to teach you principles that can support your life, support your health, support your vitality, support your well-being, absolutely start there. 
but don't stop seeking. You know, keep looking. Um, find the deep wells. You know, find and study with some of the teachers that uh, come from lineage so that you can get an ever-expanding, bigger picture. So that yoga doesn't become static. It doesn't become, uh, it doesn't fit in a box, but the edges of what yoga is continues to grow. And the way that you understand um, yoga is your relationship to life continues to grow. So I think, um, you know, I, I still... I still kind of laugh when I tell people I'm a yoga teacher because part of me is like, I'm a yoga teacher? Hmm. How could I be a yoga teacher? I wasn't born in India, meaning I didn't grow up with yoga. Mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, live, breathe, eat yoga from childhood. Um, So it's something that I started to, that I stumbled onto and began to study later in life, you know, beginning at 18 and more so in my 20s. But I think, gosh, there are people... I mean, when you invited me to teach at Kindness Yoga years ago, I was thinking, how could I teach at Kindness Yoga? These guys have been teaching for 10 or 15 years, and I just did my teacher training a year ago, mm-hmm. you know, or a year and a half or whatever it was. And I, I still have those kind of thoughts nowadays. How can I be a yoga teacher? And then I try to remind myself what one of my teachers said, which is, your job is to, from where you are, Give as much guidance as you can in helping people grow beyond their limitations. Word. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That I, yoga is one of these words that is so much bigger and exactly as big as the translation. Right. Right. Uh, union. Imagine if it had come out of the English language, we would be practicing union. And I think it would be clearer to the Western mind than it is. Because it's another language called yoga, yoga has become synonymous with asana. And asana are those funny shapes that we put ourselves in in class. Um, And the practice yoga, which is the practice of union or to yoke, is everything. And uh, they could have called the practice everything, <laughs> exactly. right? <laughs> which which would have been more, uh, more 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 correct in a lot of ways. And so when I hear you say, "How am I a yoga teacher? I wasn't born in India." I think that's a place where we actually disconnect from the responsibility of the word, which uh, when we translate it is union. And that is this bringing together of all and the recognition in my mind, the recognition of underlying everything is one energy and it will all eventually return to that form of basic energy uh, and change its form, but never be destroyed. And so working with everything means that when you're doing yoga, it's convenient to say I went to a 545 class and 60 minutes later, I completed my yoga practice, which to me is very tantamount to um, as, a, as a Catholic. And I know you were born Catholic as well. And I, I was a good Catholic because I went on Sunday. Right. And, um, and, and I got my Catholic done at church on Sunday. We could check it off the list. Check it off the list. So I get my yoga done by, by, oh, I didn't get to do yoga today. Well, well, I mean, it's, that's not exactly true. And in a, in a, in a lot of ways, I think that it's, it's what half stepping looks like 
in our world around we have a we have an opportunity that's so big and so grand to actually make a big huge shift in our world as a individual and potentially within our family and potentially within our city so in that in that game called um you know in a way we've commoditized yoga to mean the 60 minutes or 75 minutes or 90 minutes or whatever it is. And so it's easy for me to say, ah, I just got busy. I didn't get my yoga in today. But in this context called yoga is really everything or yoga is the union of everything. Talk a little bit about how in your day to day, when you remember that you're, you teach and you hold yourself accountable to this conversation that says to remember uh, yoga and the yoga practice is every breath, for example. How does that show up? Yeah, I think, I think that where we're at culturally with our relationship to yoga, this is, this is really the next step in our evolution is to start to take what we framed or, or called yoga out of the box where it's not something we check off our to-do list, but it actually, that 60 minutes or 75 minutes is informing how we're being the rest of the day. Mm. You know, and I think in our practice, something that will serve us more and more is not just focusing on what are we doing mechanically to try to create this sense of balance, but how am I being in this process called yoga in a way that's helping me relate to the dynamics of experience and challenge and sensation and whatever's showing up in the mind in a way that's more harmonious. Mm. So we're building these skills to be with the nature of change, to be with the nature of the unknown, to be with, you know, a build, you know, a building self-awareness in such a way that this, this, this now bleeds over. The 75 minutes is like, oh, I'm doing this so that the rest of my day is different. So that I can be more skillful in how I'm moving through my day because I'm giving more attention to how I'm being moment to moment. Not just where I'm going, not just what I'm trying to achieve, not just the next moment I'm trying to reach, but how am I being in relationship to waiting in a line? How am I being in relationship to being in a traffic jam? How am I being in a relationship to the financial problems or the raising of children or the children aren't listening or whatever it is. So we want the skills to, 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 to break out of, uh, of the limited time frame of quote unquote, a yoga practice, you know? So for me, this is really where my meditation practice has, has evolved and continues to evolve is that, it used to be, okay, this is something I'm going to do for 20 minutes. This is something I'm going to do for 30 minutes or however long it is. And then I'll go back to being dysfunctional and stressed and trying to manage a lot of details and control the things I can't and all that stuff. But now it's like, okay, how can I, what we're really doing in meditation or what we, what we want to be doing in meditation is building a greater level of presence, building a greater level of self-awareness, building a greater level of attention to how am I being in the space between the moments that I give significance to. Mm. If, I, if I make yoga a significant 75-minute moment, and then you know I have my 30-minute meditation that evening or my walk in nature or whatever, and okay, now there's two periods that I'm giving myself this attention how am I being in the space between them? 
Mm-hmm. You know, Rod Stryker, who's my primary teacher, he says that, you know, and this is, of course, speaking from one perspective, he says the purpose of yoga is to make better choices. Yes. Oh, hallelujah, Rod. <laughs> right? So it's, and what are we doing in every single moment of our lives? Making choices. Mm-hmm. Every single moment. Yeah. Whether we're sitting still and we made the choice to sit still, um, whether it's, you know, milk or juice, whatever it is, we're constantly making choices. So we want to not, we want to step into a place ideally where we're fully participating in that process with the intention of quote unquote, everything, you know, as you called yoga is everything. Yeah. Yoga is how can I move through this thing called life? harmoniously, not just in the moments that I think it matters, but in every single moment. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, you know, kindness for me, the name, um, implies this big thing. And it's been, it's been interesting to watch how kindness as a word technology has, um, has worked on me, has worked on our community. Um, and, but one of the things that I think is really interesting about kindness that wasn't clear to me before I got as intimate as I am with the word kindness is that, is that kindness isn't nice, Hmm. right? So kindness and nice are actually two different things. Hmm. And that in this game called yoga is a, a support or a system or a teaching for how to move harmoniously through life. I think this word harmonious is one that, that um, I got a little bit hooked into as you were talking. And it's kind of like, to me, um, this idea that kindness means that I will be nice because I am kind. And harmonious to me, in some ways, implies a similar thing as kindness. As harmonious, uh, in one hand, in one hand, could say meaning without speed bumps, or meaning without boundaries, or meaning without violence, or meaning without no. And and I I don't know that in my experience of life so far, sometimes kind is no. It's often no. Like kind to me is a no to the five things that are overwhelming me. Uh, kindness to my family might be protecting them from an intruder into my home, where the act of protection might not actually be kind to the person that's intruding, but it's kind to my circle. And it keeps expanding out, right? Kind in my community would be picking up trash as I'm going around and uh, the neighborhood and walking and so forth. So can you speak about what you mean by navigating the world harmoniously when, um, when somebody, uh, somebody challenges you in a way that, that, that causes you to protect yourself? How, how does harmony and life, how does that square? <laughs> well... Undoubtedly, the world is dualistic, so we're in this constant dance between polarity, um, between desirable and undesirable experiences. And essentially, we create preferences accordingly. You know, we, we want to experience only pleasurable experiences, and we don't want to experience unpleasurable experiences. And 
harmoniously to me is really about how can we be in relationship with the nature of change, whether I like what's happening or whether I don't like what's happening. And kindness to me also comes out of or points to one of the fundamental yamas or principles for living a harmonious life, which comes out of yoga. And the yama is, um, you know, the first uh, that we give attention to in yoga, which some say sort of encapsulates all of them, which is ahimsa. And ahimsa means nonviolence. Now, nonviolence doesn't mean non-action. Nonviolence doesn't mean non-force. But I think what, what's important, and, and to me, when I think of kindness, it really means that I'm rooted in a place of understanding rooted in a place of understanding that that all of my thoughts, all of my words, and all of my actions are constantly creating the world that I live in and the world that I experience. And if I can come from a place of understanding that every moment I'm making a contribution to life, how can I do it in such a way that's helpful? And it's an interesting example because that you, that you brought up because helpful could be protecting my family while harming another person that's right. attempting to harm my family. And so helpful can have a very different face depending on the situation. If the movement is toward harmony, what we're essentially trying to do is create less conflict and carry less conflict. I can be in a situation where I have to protect my family and perhaps um, exert force toward an imposter, you know, in a way that may physically harm them and in turn protects my family. So I'm doing what's being called for in that moment um, to protect my family. In that moment, can I then honor the process and no longer carry some resistance to the fact that that even happened Mm -hmm. or some story about how it shouldn't have happened to where this nonviolence piece is not just about bringing more harm to the world, but bringing more harm to myself. Mm -hmm. You know, coming back to the self-responsibility piece The first place we create harm, the first place we create conflict, the first place we create mental, emotional suffering is in our own minds. Mm. So harmonious means to be in a place of self-responsibility in every moment where I'm perhaps looking, I'm making choices, looking through the lens of what's most helpful. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, what's helpful versus what's unhelpful. And undoubtedly, there's going to be difficult choices. Um, It's the nature of this world of polarity where every action and this, you know, this emergent universe that we live in a seeming sequence of cause and effect. So Mm -hmm. every choice I make is going to have a consequence or an impact. It may be, quote-unquote, helpful in a certain way and unhelpful in another way. Um, So the more I can 
really just give attention to the process, the more I can expand my view or the filters that I'm looking through or my perspective that I'm looking through when I answer that question and when that question fuels my action, um, I think that becomes more um, a movement more into kindness that I'm recognizing it, it's not hard to see that everything is interconnected. Mm-hmm. You know, I can say we're separate, but we're made of the same stuff. We're breathing the same air. We're utilizing the same resources. We're going through the same process of growth and eventually decay and death. And we're all sort of traveling down, you know, this the sequence of time in the same way. I think the more that I can take responsibility for the quality of my choices in a way that's attempting to minimize as much as I can the amount of harm, the amount of mental emotional suffering, um, the amount of conflict in the world um, is a good guideline for for how to meet this you know nature of unexpected or the unknown as it's always showing up. Yeah, yeah, good one. Um, following that line of harmony, um, something that you've shared with me, um, is your journey with sleep and how that's been a, yeah, a major, major opportunity, let's call it, (laughs) um, for growth and for biohacking. Um, can you talk a little bit about your journey with sleep and how that's led you to Nidra and what role Nidra is playing in your life as a teacher and kind of where you want to go with that professionally? Yeah, I used to be an incredible sleeper. Really? Incredible By whose sleeper. standards? <laughs> <laughs> by, by waking up in the morning after sleeping between 8 and 10 hours a night. Wow. And this is beyond adolescence. Wow. And waking up yeah. every morning feeling vital, enthusiastic, um, and excited about life. Good looking. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's debatable. Right. Um, but, but waking up every morning and just feeling excited about life. Yeah. Um, I actually discovered yoga nidra when I was in a good phase of sleep. Okay. And so I got very curious about exploring the different realms of sleep just spontaneously, you know, experientially, uh, you know, on my own initially. And I just started to explore the process of sleep. Well, I'm at least the third generation Uh, on my dad's side, that has experienced insomnia later in life. Which some would say is is an irony because, oh, this guy's a yoga ninja teacher and, oh, he has trouble sleeping? This stuff doesn't work. How is it? Yeah. Well, I don't don't have faith in that. (laughs) Meanwhile... It's broken. Meanwhile, multiple people that have come to me seeking the medicine of yoga ninja have healed insomnia. Hmm. I see it happen all the time. Hmm. Um... It hasn't yet cleared whatever condition, which seems to be genetic, at least at some level, that comes on later in life. Um, So what that's given me, that's part of the drive for why I've gone so far into Yoga Nidra as I have. One, just because I think it's fascinating. Two, because the more I learn about the science and understand the theory and the methodology behind it, that it literally, I believe personally, that it literally can support any condition, mm. any challenge. Not to say that it alone can heal anything, 
But Yoga Nidra is a process that works on the total individual, mind, body, emotional, you know, the whole system of layers that the yoga science recognizes. And so it's taken me deeper into this exploration of sleep. As I started to have trouble sleeping, um, I sought different methods um, like Chinese herbs and things that would that would create some relief and help rebalance whatever was now showing up as imbalance that my father and one of his brothers and their father also experienced later in life. What I've found is absolutely it's much easier to fall asleep with the practice of Yoga Nidra because Yoga Nidra simulates more or less the sequence of falling asleep. Mm. It's retraining mind and body to shift into parasympathetic response, to shift into relaxation, to enter a place of complete rest while starting to dismantle the layers or uh, patterns of tension that exist in the mind and body that are resonating in a way at a level of disturbance that disallows or disturbs sleep. So I use the practice of yoga nidra often to fall asleep at night. When I wake up in the middle of the night, when that shows up, I'll often use the practice of yoga nidra to get back to sleep. Mm. Sometimes I don't get back to sleep. Mm -hmm. But when I go into a practice of yoga nidra, I'm not in a place of conflict about not sleeping. I'm not in a place of resistance, which of course amplifies the inability to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And certain days after nights where I don't sleep well, um, I'll use the practice of yoga nidra when I start to feel the heaviness of, oh right, I didn't get enough quality sleep last night. I'll actually use yoga nidra to take me into sleep. Um, which is not its primary use, but a very effective use. So I'll use it to get, you know, something like a power nap where I can go into these deep states of relaxation, whether I'm slightly consciously aware or not, and come out refreshed. Where I can actually, through Yoga Nidra, enter Delta, which is the deepest level of rest that we get at night, in in a 20 to 45 minute practice of Yoga Nidra. So... It supported me immensely in sort of managing the challenge of uh, a much more complicated relationship to sleep than I used to have. And like I said, you know, um, I've seen uh, the statistics on how it benefits those that struggle with sleep and certainly our culture. Um, A greater and greater percentage of individuals are struggling with sleep. Um, And people are emailing me or coming to my class or telling me very often, oh my gosh, I haven't slept in 20 years and I got the best night of sleep that I can remember after doing the practice of Yoga Nidra. And that can be, that's sometimes just one Yoga Nidra practice because it's starting to work at the seed level of not just treating the symptom of agitation, busy mind, you know, over uh, imbalanced sympathetic response, but it actually starts to work at the seed level What's creating the disturbance? How can we undo that disturbance through these very simple techniques that are training, that are literally rewiring the brain to develop a new relationship to experience? Mm. That's deep. Um, From someone whose family um, is renowned for falling asleep in the middle of a card game, we Harringtons um, have uh, the opposite challenge and what what uh what occurred for me is i wonder 
A couple of things. Number one, I think um, the the challenge of being underpowered with sleep is is mighty. In times where I've not been able to sleep um, for whatever reason, um, or just just stayed up too late and got up early, uh, it's it affects me in a huge way. So I can imagine that uh, for people that are struggling with sleep. Yoga Nidra is a uh, potential godsend, right? Um, and so really want to draw attention to some of the things that you're, where are you going with it from here? What can we expect from Jeremy and Yoga Nidra in the future? Well, just so happens mm. that the next Yoga Nidra recording that I want to record will be a Yoga Nidra for sleep. Um, and this is one that I'd like to also make available for free on Insight Timer. Um, and part of the motivation for that is because I know how supportive it can be for those that tr- struggle with sleep and that that number, the, the number of those individuals is increasing. And the platform that I've started using, Insight Timer, um, they say that they're most popular form of meditation is yoga nidra Hmm. and the most popular type of yoga nidra is yoga nidra for sleep so there's obviously an extremely high demand or desire um, to receive support in this realm and so this is something that i'm very interested in supporting because i believe in it i see it i experience it firsthand Um, though i haven't completely cleared whatever it is in me that's creating this this later in life disturbance. I've seen it cleared in other people in seemingly record time, again and again. So that's something I want to do. And I also am interested in creating more specific yoga nidras for specific ailments, challenges, and conditions. You know, from for things like addiction, um, things like trauma and depression. Because we can tailor the practice in a way that is literally, again, it's all about redefining our relationship to experience. And that doesn't just mean external experience, but what is my relationship to my memories? Mm. What is my relationship to my dysfunction or disturbance? What is my relationship to my lack of health? How can I change my perception of it? How can I change my relationship to it so that I'm not reinforcing it by the way that I'm thinking or by the way I'm reacting to it? And so I'd like to create more yoga nidras that are specific um, and that can help people in particular ways. And this is also part of the incentive to um, get me motivated to create more online offerings. Um, I know it's become online platforms are a really excellent resource for people that either can't make it to a yoga class to, for example, take a yoga nidra class or they're traveling and they, you know, they can't go every day and they need it every day or they need support every day. So one of the things I want to do is um, really expand my offerings in that realm and, and have a lot more tools available for people on a day-to-day basis that they can access at any time. And um, also interested in taking some of these fundamental techniques, whether they be yoga nidra or breath-based or meditation-based, that um, will give people a foundation of tools that are accessible at any level that can help support them into taking their yoga practice 
out of that 75 minute time frame and into the rest of their day where they have tools to work with moment to moment and um, excited to uh, have further conversations about some online programming that would be available through Kindness Yoga um, to offer some of these tools for people. And I really also want to expand Yoga Nidra. I've, I've made a point to just keep training in Yoga Nidra, study with as many different Yoga Nidra teachers. I've now studied with the four main or most well-known lineages of Yoga Nidra, the four main approaches. And I'm now studying outside of those four um, because there are so many gems and so many jewels and so many approaches to practice that I want to create um, this, this very broad toolkit that can help not just me, but practitioners and those that aspire to be yoga nidra teachers or meditation teachers or yoga teachers to have a broader toolkit for meeting the person exactly where they are, for creating the most effective entry point for addressing um, what they're most challenged with or what their goals are. You know, how do we move forward from here in a way that's most helpful? So it comes back to that sort of tailoring or customization of the yoga practice that can meet the person exactly where they are and support them in the best way possible. Mm. Yeah, bravo. Well, um, this has been awesome. I'm so, so grateful that we got to talk and I'm already scheming on uh, the next time that we get together to do another recording and, and to dive deeper into uh, Nidra and, and parenting and uh, the state of yoga teaching here in uh, Denver, but nationally and in the world. Um, tell us where you're teaching these days, where we can find more about you. Just share some of that and we'll obviously tag it in the online version as well. Right now, I teach weekly classes at Kindness Yoga and uh, a variety of other workshops and immersion teacher training offerings there. Also, I'm going to be taking uh, some of these workshops outside of Denver and outside of Colorado. You can find me at jeremywolfyoga.com. And you can also find a few of my recordings on Insight Timer. I've got two meditations up there and one brand new Yoga Nidra. Awesome, bro. I look forward to the next time we get to connect. And uh, until then, uh, have a great life. And everyone out there, enjoy your yoga practice. Enjoy your everything practice, I should say. <laughs> Patrick Harrington signing off.